0: Joshua chapter 9. As we cover this incredible chapter, Joshua chapter 9, and I've told you this, and I just got to keep telling you this, and in the Old Testament, you have visual illustrations of truths, you know, New Testament truths, Old Testament truths, but you kind of get to see it, you know, in visual illustrations and living, practical ways. And as we go through Joshua chapter 9, we're going to see some things, I think, that are so important for us uh, in order to win this race that we are in, in order to finish the race. Uh, Have you guys ever been, just out of curiosity, if you're honest, man, have you ever been lost? Raise your hand if you've ever been lost. Okay, I know some guys, they will not raise their hand, man, you know, (laughs) I've never been lost, you know, and uh, I don't know, I guess the Lord always works it out, huh? You know, every once in a while, maybe you go to a place, or maybe it's a building, maybe terrain or territory, and you've got to admit, you go in there, and you're like, I do not know where I'm going, huh? <laughs> and so you just kind of ask around. And imagine how it would be, though, in life, spiritually speaking, if you never got lost. Think about that. Think about, you know, in one sense, you know, how it would be if you were always that type of person that followed the Lord. You know, the Lord who shows the way, and so you now know the way, and so you now go the way. Why? Because you're following the Lord. Imagine how it would be if you never got lost, if you followed the Lord, if wherever you went, one day at a time, you didn't have that feeling of not knowing where you're at, not knowing where you're going, because you're following the Lord. And that's really how it should be for us as Christians. And that's one of the things I think we're going to learn in Joshua chapter 9. How we can have this intimate and personal relationship with God. And He will show you what to do. You don't have to be living in limbo. You don't have to be wondering what you're supposed to do. Why? Because you have a personal relationship with God. And He talks to you. And you pray. And you seek His face. And He shows you the way. We don't get lost. Why? Because we have the Lord. We're going to learn that today um, in Joshua 9. Look what it says in verse 1. It says, And it came to pass when all the kings who were on this side of the Jordan, in the hills and in the lowland, and in all the coasts of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite heard about it Yet they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. They had heard about the way that the Israelites had conquered Ai. And so, you know, what they did is they said, you know what? The Israel has this agenda. They're going to come in they to wipe us out one by one. And so their strategy was to come and to team up as a league of nations, and then they figured they would then team up against Israel. And so they come and they gather together to fight with Israel. And so we read that in verses one and two, but then we read in verse three, but when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily and they went and pretended to be ambassadors and they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet and old garments on themselves, and all the bread of their provision was dry and and moldy. And, And they went to Joshua, to the camp at Gilgal, and they said to him and to the men of Israel, we have come from a far country. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. And then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, well, wait a minute, perhaps you dwell among us. So how can we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, "We are your servants." And Joshua said to them, "Who are you and where do you come from?" Now remember, the children of Israel were not to make any covenants with any of the people within the land allotted to them. God said, "When you go in, utterly destroy them, wipe out the land After you conquer this territory that I'm giving to you all the way to the Euphrates River, then if you want to, you can make peace with other nations. You can make covenants with them, but not to the inhabitants of Canaan. So the Gibeonites, they come, and we read right there in verse 4, they were working craftily. They're lying. They're saying, hey, we're from far away. Come on, man, let's be friends. And so Joshua, he asked the question, And verse 9, they said to him, From a very far country your servants have come, because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon, king of Heshbon, and king of Bashan, who was at Ashtaroth. Therefore, our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us, and they said, Take provisions with you, Uh, For the journey, go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. This bread of ours, we we took it hot out of the oven for our provisions from our houses on the day that we departed to come to you. But now, look, it's dry and moldy. And these wineskins, which we filled, were new. And see, they are torn, and these are garments, and our sandals, they've become old because of their very long journey. You know, they're trying to tell them, we've been on this journey for a long time, and, you know, the bread, look at it, you know, our clothes, our sandals, look, it's just, it's obvious, right? They're saying, it's evident, these wineskins, look at all these things, right? They they wanted to deceive them, and so, in verse 14, the men of Israel took some of their provisions, they saw, ooh, the mold, <laughs> But they did not ask counsel of the Lord. In my Bible, I underlined that. I highlighted it and I put a couple of stars right there. They did not ask counsel of the Lord. And so we read in verse 15, Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. Right here, Joshua got lost. He severed the guidance that God wanted to give to him as a leader, to the elders, to the nation of Israel. And right here, he fell. He went off track. He severed the guidance of God. Now, when looking at this right here, we're going to see some of the ramifications of this later later. I think it's important for us to learn from others' mistakes, even to learn from our own mistakes. You just got to make sure you're learning, you know. I always tell you guys the best way to learn is the easy way. Just read it in the Bible and heed it. Read it and heed it. That's the best way to learn. But you can also learn from your own mistakes. You can also learn from others' mistakes. I pray that in reading this today that we would learn from Joshua's mistake. They went off track. Why? Why? Because they did not seek the counsel of the Lord. There's a few things actually we're going to see in looking at this right here. And I want to give you first of all three things that severed their guidance. How many of you here want to be guided by God? You know, you want the Lord to lead your life. You want to be where you belong. You want the best for your family. You want the best for the ministry. You want the best even for society. And the only way that's going to happen is if we follow the Lord, right? And so there's this guidance that God wants to give to us. It's this GPS. It's a compass. It's so important for us to have. Otherwise, we're lost. But there's a few things we see here that really severed that guidance. And the first thing is that they did not consider the craftiness of their satanic enemy. They did not consider the craftiness of their satanic enemy. You know, Satan sometimes comes as a devouring lion. We know that, 1 Peter 5.8. But he usually comes as a deceptive snake, Second Corinthians 11, verse 3. And we got to know that. You know, one thing to take into consideration here is the context. He will especially come as a snake Right after a victory. So you gotta really be ready for that. He wants to squash any type of momentum you might be gaining in life. He wants to catch us right after the victory because perhaps he might catch us off guard. Warren Risby said, after an experience of great blessing, God's people must be especially prepared to confront The enemy. One guy said, every victory that the Christian wins in his own personal life is an invitation for a full scale attack by the enemy of his soul. And so when you have a victory, you really got to be ready for the craftiness of the enemy. Be ready. Don't forget his craftiness. Right here, look again in verse 4 they worked craftily. That's the way they worked, right? The word right here it doesn't mean that they went to Michael's and did that kind of stuff. No, it's not that type of craftiness, okay? The Hebrew word speaks of shrewdness and even prudence. Real interesting. Shrewd, crafty, a prudent enemy is what we have. The same word is translated treachery in Exodus 21.14, but it's usually translated prudence. Proverbs chapter 14, I mean chapter 1 verse 4, 8 verse 5, 8 verse 12, and, and we need to know that our enemy is prudent, he's smart, in order to make us fall. William MacDonald said they knew that the Israelites had been ordered to destroy all the heathen inhabitants of the land, but they also knew that no such orders had been issued concerning nations outside of Canaan. They knew enough. To come in. And the enemy, I was talking to my kids about this today. It's kind of interesting. I just thought about this. You know, before I went to the ministry today, we read the devotional. And we were talking about how, um, you know, angels. Uh, it was a Greg Laurie devotional today about how angels, you know, they, we have guardian angels. And they're watching over us. And, you know, we, we, it's kind of cool when you think about that. But then right before I left, I told them, yeah, but demons are too. <laughs> you know, demons are there too. You know, there's the angelic realm. There's the demonic realm. And they're watching us and they're saying, well, how can I make them fall? What can I do? And they're crafty, they're shrewd, they're prudent. He knows what's going on and he knows how to make us fall. He even knows the word and he'll use the word as part of his strategy. You know, we need to know, you guys, we're in a war. And it's been said that the very secret of winning a war lies in spiritual strategy. And that's for us. We need to ask God for vision. We need to ask God for marching orders. And he will show us the way to do battle. Jesus even said this in Luke 16, verse 8, For the sons of this world are more shrewd in this generation than the sons of light. You know, and you look at the world that we live in today, and you guys Especially if you have young, you know, teenagers or kids or whatever. I mean, how many of us would admit we see it so evidently the way the enemy is just man bombarding the youth in so many ways. Not just the youth, all of us. But he's smart and he's got all these institutions of education and you know, movies and music and, and just this all over the place, man. He has got a strategy to take him down. You know, And we need to have the wisdom of God in order to counterattack that. We need to know that the enemy is a crafty enemy. You see, they didn't even consider the craftiness of the enemy. And I just pray that we would learn from their mistake. You guys, we got to know that's the way the enemy operates. As we endeavor to follow the Lord and sometimes even lead people, we must take into constant consideration the craftiness of the enemy. Here we see an Old Testament illustration. In Ephesians 6, 11, there's a New Testament declaration. You guys remember that verse? Put on the armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The wiles of the devil. You guys remember Wile E. Coyote, right? You guys remember him. You remember all the traps that he would set up. All the ways that he would try to bring, was it Roadrunner? It was Roadrunner down, right? Same thing, man. That's who the enemy is. You know, it's crazy, man. Um, the way the enemy operates, the way that, you know, it may not be you know something that's going to happen overnight, but just little by little you drift away from the Lord. You lose your effectiveness, your relationship with him. Next thing you know, you're on the shelf. Next thing you know, you want to die because he's got his crafty way of bringing us down. You know, it's interesting. The Greek word translated wiles In the book of Ephesians is the Greek word methodia. It's our word methods. He's got his methods. And it means to lie in wait. He's there. He's watching, cunning in his artistry, deceit, craft, and trickery. You see, they were severed in their guidance because, number one, they did not consider the craftiness of the enemy. Secondly, they did not test the talk of their supposed friends. And so we need to consider the craftiness of the enemy and we need to test the talk, test what they're saying, even if they come to us sometimes as supposed friends. Otherwise, we will be severed in our guidance in following the Lord. You know, I'll be honest with you guys. Sometimes I forget that the language of Lucifer... You know, the natural flow of our foe is lies. I, I forget that, you know. I, I remember, you know, when I first became a Christian, then I remember I went on staff and I was working at a church. I remember I'd call around and ask for, you know, different prices and business and things like that. And I was just tripping out on how all these business people can lie to you. You know, oh, yeah, we'll have it done by Wednesday. No problem. You know, I found out they meant Wednesday next month, you know. <laughs> And then it just kind of hit me, and it's still, I still, I, I need work on this. They, they lie. People lie. And that's that's the language of Lucifer. That's the flow of our foe. And I think for me, a lot of times it's hard to believe. You know, we need to make sure that we have a good balance, you guys. It's not that we should always be skeptical, always skeptical, but at the same time, we need to make sure that we are never gullible. We're never gullible. You see, the gullible person is easily persuaded to believe anything. I know that's me. You know, I remember going in Garvey, man, having an office there in Garvey and having these people come in and tell me their stories, why I should give them $100. And, you know, when I was, you know, didn't know anything, and you guys are probably thinking, man, you should have known from the very beginning, but that's just the type of person I am. I'm, I would always think, you know what, they're going to be up front with me. I could see it. They're sincere. And, man, I can't tell you how many times they were just, you know, fleecing the flock. They wanted money. It's not always like that, but we need to make sure that we have a good balance. We need to remember not only is the enemy a liar, he's an excellent liar. Crazy, huh? You know, Satan's ambassadors can lie more convincingly than some Christians can tell the truth. You know, I remember Warren Wiersbe said this, in my pastoral ministry, I've met people who have introduced themselves as sneakers, but I found out I was seekers, seekers, but I found later they were sneakers. And so you, you have to be really careful. The language of Lucifer is lies. John 8:44. you are of your father, the devil, Jesus said, the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and a father, the father of it. You see, we need to make sure if we really want the Lord to guide us, if you're serious about following the Lord, you know, if you really want to stay on track, you know, right there in the dead center will of God, That we understand that our enemy is crafty. You know, he's going to do whatever he can, man, to to bring us down. And we need to understand that, you know, the way that he works is he lies. And so we need to test all things. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 21 says, test all things. Hold fast what is good. Now, it's interesting to me, the word test, it means to prove. It just means to prove. And so if you find yourself having to make a decision based upon the words of someone else only, tell them to prove it. See, that's it. Very simple. And that's the way we need to make our decisions. All Joshua had to do was do a competent evaluation of the situation to dig a little deeper, to take a validation of their location. If he would have done that, he would have found out that there were only 25 miles away they're just down the street see but he didn't take the time to investigate you know I think there's times we don't do that extra homework we don't do that investigation because it takes time and effort number one we don't want to offend them you know we don't want to offend them you know I, I know for me offending people goes against my makeup but the Lord has taught and caught and challenged and asked me Manny would you rather offend me Another reason I think that we don't test their words is because we want so much to believe them. You know, as these guys came, they basically said, we want to be your friend. We want to be your friend. Now, in verse 1 and 2, we found out that they had a whole grip of enemies. It's there for a reason. It's there to contrast, to give us a context. And so, man... You know, undoubtedly they found out that they had a whole bunch of enemies and they said, wow, here's a friend. And they wanted so much what to believe that. So they didn't test the claim of the Gibeonites. Man, I pray that God would take his word that he would teach us, even from the mistakes of Joshua, so that we would stay on track, that we would never make a covenant with anyone apart from the will of God, man. We would not dance with the devil, negotiate with nonsense, that we would never ever sleep with the enemy. We have to be so careful that we don't mess around because I'm serious, to stay in the will of God, to finish the race, to bring him glory, to bring them good is a very rare thing in the church nowadays. And these things are so important for us, you know. You know, why wouldn't we, you know, think that the enemy is crafty? You know, because basically, Manny, you take your Christianity too seriously. You know? But I don't think so. I don't think that we can take our Christianity too seriously, huh? You know, we need to understand that. That's the way he works. He's going to trip us. He's going to trap us. We really need the discernment of the Lord. We really do, you guys. Understand, man, that they severed their guidance because they, number one, did not consider the craftiness of their satanic enemy. Number two, they did not test the talk of their supposed friends. And then number three, and here's really the main, the main thing, the most important thing, they did not ask counsel of their Lord. They did not ask counsel of their saving Lord. Verse 14, then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. You know, how many of you here are really right on and you have an old King James version, just out of curiosity? All right, we got a couple of right on people here. <laughs> the old King James says they did not seek the mouth of the Lord. Real interesting, the mouth of the Lord. Literally, they did not ask the mouth of the Lord. And you know, the word counsel is appropriate, the word consult and inquire, are all appropriate applications but the literal interpretation is they did not ask the mouth of the Lord which comes to mean basically that they did not seem to wait to want to wait on the Lord they did not even want to ask regarding this task to hear God's instructions to hear God's directions to hear God's words from his heart which really then goes to his mouth you know and it's just mind boggling to me when you think about this right here how you guys Joshua 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 is so right on. And he did not ask the Lord. If it happened to him, it can happen to any of us, huh? I know when I read this right here, especially about the mouth of the Lord, they did not, you know, seek the mouth of the Lord. I I was immediately drawn over to Matthew chapter 4. Let's turn there real quick, you guys. Because here we have, and there's so many examples that we could turn to regarding the way that the enemy wants to come in and basically just take you off track, right? And here in Matthew chapter 4, notice what it says in verse 1, Matthew 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights... Afterward, he was hungry. Makes sense, huh? Forty days, forty nights, he's probably pretty hungry. And so, what ends up happening, it says in verse 3 Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. There he is, forty days, forty nights, he's fasting. You know, and so here comes the tempter. And we don't know for sure. I wonder sometimes about this, like maybe what it looked like. I know the Bible says that the devil can transform himself into an angel of light. And yet at the same time, I know the Lord can see right through all that. You know, I don't know what it looked like, but I know what it kind of sounded like. I mean, to me, it kind of sounded okay, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, so you haven't eaten anything for 40 days, huh? No food, no water. You're the son of God. There's a stone. There's no restaurant. There's no food nearby. It would be simple, you have to admit. It would be logical. It would be practical. Tell you what, just command these stones to be bread. You know, I don't know what it looked like, but to me it kind of sounded all right. I mean, if you were there 40 days, 40 nights, there's no restaurant, you're hungry, there's no food, someone just says, you know what, turn the stones into a a couple of biscuits, what would you do? You know, most of us would probably say, he wants me to eat, I'm so hungry, I'm so weak, he's acting like a friend, he cares about me. You know, I don't know. I mean, Jesus obviously knew it was the devil, but we don't know a lot of times If this person has malicious intents for us or not. We don't have that same vision. But what would we have done? Um, I think most of us would have given in. But not Jesus. Look what we read in verse 4. He answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so when I was back in Joshua and I thought they were seeking his mouth, I thought, wow, that's what Jesus was talking about. That we don't live by bread alone. But we live by every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. And that's how we make our decisions. That's how we stay on track. That's how we get the guidance of God. This, notice what Jesus said, is how we live. Not just for the super-Christians, not just for the pastors and leaders. For any follower of God, this is how we live. We live by the word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. This is my life. So how do we get the word of God? Well, if you go back to uh, Joshua, um, there's that word right there, uh, the word ask. they did not ask the counsel of the Lord. And so there you are, and someone wants you to sign on the dotted line. There you are, and someone wants you to enter into some type of covenant or commitment. There you are. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's some type of position that you're pursuing. Whatever it is, some type of decision. There's the bigger decisions in life, how we really need the Lord. There's the smaller decisions we're going to see later. Everything has to be brought to the Lord. But there you are. You know And you just got to make sure that you ask the Lord. But here's the thing. Don't just ask the Lord. Ask with the faith knowing that he will answer. That's the thing. Because I think a lot of times people say, well, yeah, I flung a prayer up, man. You know, last February or whatever. I asked him. But you're not asking with the anticipation of an answer. And that's why James chapter 1, verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach. And that wisdom will be given to him. But you've got to make sure you ask in faith. Ask the Lord and wait for an answer from his mouth. His mouth. He'll tell you. You've got to pray. You got to seek the Lord. It's so important. You know, when you read the Bible over in Judges, we see what they did in Judges chapter 1. I mean, just so you see it all the way through the Bible and after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, you know, who shall be first to go up for us? And that's the way we live our life, very simple. You know, what are you going to do? Ask Manny. No, wrong. Eh. <laughs> Because I'll jack you up sometimes. We'll talk about that later. Make sure, make sure you ask the Lord, okay? Make sure you pray about things. David would often inquire of the Lord, and you need to ask for an answer. Make sure you pray. Number two, you not only need to ask, but you also need to seek. You need to seek. If you go over to Ezra real quick. Ezra is right after the book of Revelation. Just, just missing. <laughs> Ezra, right before the poetical books, chapter 8. Notice what it says in verse 21. I love this verse right here. In Ezra eight twenty-one, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him the right way for us and our little ones, and all our possessions. I just love that verse right there. You know, there you see him not just asking, but seeking, seeking the will of the Lord, seeking the Lord, not only for himself, but for his little ones, for his family, for all the things that God had given to him. And that's what we need to do. If you want God's guidance, we got to ask for an answer. And not only that, we got to seek and find. Seek and find. And that means you're praying, you're praying, you're praying. You're passionate in your prayer. And it's a personal prayer because it's going to come from the mouth of God. That's what I'm talking about when I mentioned earlier that we really do have a personal relationship with God. If you don't, if you haven't heard his voice, if you don't know his voice, then you're not his. Jesus said, my sheep, they know my voice. I think a lot of times we just kind of got all these other voices and we have lost like the voice of God. We've got to ask, wait for an answer. We've got to seek and, and seek until you find. Let me tell you something, man. God wants you to know his will more than you do more than you want to know it. He's not going to hide it for you. He's not going to say, here, here, I gotcha. He's not going to do that. You just have to be willing to say, Lord, I want it. Alan Redpath said this, it seems to take us a long time to learn the lesson that neglected prayer always leads to trouble and destroys the spirit of discernment. Don't neglect your prayer life. That prayer life, I'm telling you this, and I know it, we've gone through it, we've lived it. That prayer life where you're there and you start your day half an hour, 45 minutes an hour, and you're on your face and you're in your closet and you're praying to your God before you go out into the day, you have a place, a quiet time with him. That right there is where you'll see most clearly and you'll be given the discernment you need from all the trips and traps of the devil. And that's why praying is so important. we got to ask, we got to seek, right? We've got to ask Him, seek Him, and then we have to acknowledge Him. Uh, I know you guys know Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? We could probably say it all together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. You see, you got to ask Him, you got to seek Him, you got to acknowledge Him. Acknowledge Him. What do you mean acknowledge Him? That He is the Lord of your life, not you. Acknowledge Him. Acknowledge the authority that He has over your life. God does. And in all our ways, as we acknowledge Him, man, He's going to show us the way. It's so cool. Trust in the Lord. We need to live in the counsel of the Lord. Back in Joshua, it says right there, they did not ask the counsel of the Lord. I'm sure you guys know Isaiah 9, 6. It gives Jesus the title of counselor. Be so careful you don't follow the dictates of your own heart or the counsel of the world. Be so careful that you don't just, you know, leave it to the scientific approach, just the logical approach. What happened was the leaders of Israel took the scientific approach instead of the spiritual approach. They depended on their own senses, examined the facts, discussed the matter, and agreed and came to a conclusion without really hearing from the Lord. Again, Ellen Redpath, he said this, Never, 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 and that was all caps, never, 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 trust your own judgment in anything. When common sense says that a course is right, cool, but lift up your hearts to God, for the path of faith and the path of blessing may be in direct completely opposite to that which you call common sense. You see, being a Christian is not just common sense. It's not just the logical, practical, scientific approach. No, being a Christian is following God. And putting your hand in his, and listening to his voice, and having that type of relationship with him, where you seek his mouth. I want to read your lips, Lord. I want to hear what you have to say to me. You see, the world, the flesh, the enemy will tell you one thing. God sometimes, though, tells you another. Psalm 1-1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. That's the man who's blessed. He doesn't walk in the council of the ungodly. There's a real heavy warning, you guys. If you want to go over to Isaiah chapter 30, some of you are like, I don't want to go there if it's a warning. (laughs) Isaiah chapter 30, because, man, it's a trip, man. A lot of times we'll just do, you know, what Oprah says. I mean, I'm sorry, you guys, but you want to know something, man? The council of the world The psychology of the world, the sociology of the world, the words that you receive and advice from your friends who do not know the Lord are poisonous and deadly and devastating. And even though they sound so right, and sometimes in our own human mentality they make a lot of sense, they go in diametric opposition to what God says. And so we need to be careful. And so we see the warning here in Isaiah 30. He says, Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel but not of me, and who divides plans but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who walk to go down to Egypt and have not asked my advice, to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore, the strength of Pharaoh shall be your shame and trust in the shadow of Egypt shall be your humiliation. Ah, It's a heavy warning, you guys. Woe to us when we don't ask or seek or acknowledge the Lord. Woe to us when we trust in this fellow or that fellow or even the Pharaoh himself, we will suffer the consequences of ungodly counsel. I'm sure you guys know that song by Joseph Scriven written in 1855. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Just stopping and dropping and getting on our knees and cultivating a a subjective and objective prayer life is so huge. You know, here in Isaiah, he brings up an interesting point on how God will guide us, counsel us, speak to us from his mouth, so to speak. Notice again, it says right here, Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel, but not of me, and who divide plans, but not of my spirit. And I underlined that word spirit. You see, it's the Spirit of God who will show the children of God the perfect and wonderful will of God. As we pray and obey and have a heart to stay in His will, not our own, than the Spirit, especially for us as New Testament Christians, the Spirit of God who lives Inside of us, the helper, the comforter, the one who will infuse us with God's power and wisdom. He will counsel us. You know, and I do believe he can speak to us. His whispered word, that still small voice, ever so personally. I believe, you know, I'm not going to tell you here that God can't speak to your heart. I mean, Nehemiah said, God put it in my heart. I mean, you read the book of Acts, the spirit of the Lord would speak to the people. Angels would speak. God can guide you, right? But the Spirit of the Lord will give you the whispered word when we're really listening, but he'll primarily use the written word to guide our life. That's how we're going to get the counsel of the Lord. As a matter of fact, Psalm 119 verse 24, it says, Your testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. You can tell people if you want to, yeah, I'm going to counseling I have a whole bunch of counselors, and here it is right here, man. The Word of God is my counselor, and we need that. It's so important that we have that. Don't get me wrong. God can use human counselors. Proverbs eleven fourteen, fifteen, twenty 15, 22, 24, 6 talk about human counselors, but we need to know that since he is the king of counselors, we need to make sure that the human counsel that people give us Line up with the counsel of His Word, and so if you want to be guided by God, you don't want to be lost. You don't want to be hit off track. You want to stay on course. You know, because when you're when you know the way and you go the way, you know you save gas. <laughs> you know, you're not running around in circles. You're not wasting time. You're a serious soldier for the kingdom of God. Then you gotta learn from the mistake of Joshua, the sin of Joshua, when you see that they did not consider the craftiness of their satanic enemy, they did not test the talk of their supposed friends, they did not ask counsel of the saving Lord. But I guess part of the question is, as some of us here, you know, in all honesty, some of us here are not in the will of God because you don't want to be. Some of us here and you may not even you know admit it, but if you were to search deeper inside, you would find that it's because you want your own life. And I'm telling you right here, man, God has a better plan for your life than you do. And so we need to be really careful that we understand that. Warren Risby said, we don't see God's will like customers who look at options but like servants who listen for orders. Is that the way you look at God's will? Okay, let me see. Which one do I like? I choose C. No, No. it's like, Lord, what do you want for my life? That's the way we should live. I pray that we wouldn't make the same mistake they made here in Joshua chapter 9. We learned today, number one, about severed guidance, severed guidance. But you want to know something? And it kind of ends on a good note. We also learn about sovereign grace. And I'll tell you what, man. We need both of those things tonight. We need both of those things. We need guidance. And we need grace. Because look what happens as we read back in Joshua chapter 9. It's pretty amazing it says in verse 16, And it happened at the end of three days, after they had made a covenant with them, that they heard that they were their neighbors who dwelt near them, like I said, 25 miles from Gilgal. And the children of Israel journeyed and came to their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Jephara, Beeroth, Kirjath, and Jerem. But the children of Israel did not attack them, because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel... And so all the congregation complained against the rulers. And rightly so. You guys weren't seeking the Lord, right? Then all the rulers said to all the congregation, We can't. We've sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now, therefore, we may not touch them. This we will do to them. We will let them live, lest wrath be upon us. Why? Because of the oath which we swore to them. And the rulers said to them, Let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for all the congregation as the rulers had promised them. And so Joshua called for them. He spoke to them, saying, Why have you deceived us, saying, We are very far from you when you dwell near us. Now, therefore, you are cursed, and none of you shall be freed from being slaves, woodcutters, and water carriers for the house of my God. And so they answered Joshua and said, Because your servants were clearly told that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. Therefore, we were very much afraid for our lives because of you, and have done this thing. And now here we are in your hands. Do with us as it seems good and right to do to us. And so we did to them, and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel, so that they did not kill them. And that day Joshua made them woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord in the place which he would choose even to this day. Now, just in case there are any of you here tonight who have fallen short in following the Lord, I think it's pretty obvious as we look at our study here tonight that the Lord, in his way, worked everything out for good for both the Israelites and the Gibeonites. you know, for the Gibeonites it's probably a little more obvious they lived. (laughs) So that was cool. They survived. They did not die. We read in verse 21 and 27 that they became woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation, for the altar of the Lord. Uh, We even read there in verse 27 that it was uh, to the very day of writing the letter. You know it's kind of interesting. When you study the Gibeonites references indicate That Gibeonites were among David's military heroes, according to 1 Chronicles 12, verse 4. And that Gibeonites helped rebuild Jerusalem walls, according to Nehemiah, chapter 3, verse 7. In later years, the Gibeonites were called the Nephonim, and they were called to assist the priests. They labored as servants in the temple, according to 1 Chronicles 9, verse 2. And even in Joshua 10, we're going to see that God overruled Joshua's mistake and used it to bring victory over five kings at one time. And so you see the severed guidance. You see the sovereign grace. But let's make sure we close on the right note. Does this then give us a license to sin? To make decisions without him, not bothering to ask him, seek him, or acknowledge him? No. I think you guys know It doesn't, right? I mean, if you go into sin presumptuously, defiantly, with open eyes and closed hearts, if that's your heart, you're going forward, and even though the Holy Spirit's clearly telling you you're going in the wrong direction, if you're going forward in that, then I'm here to tell you right now that you're playing with fire. You're skating on thin ice. You need a healthy dose of the fear of God in your life because He will deal with you if you're defiantly presumptuously rebelliously going into sin with eyes open and hearts closed you need to know that but if there really is an element of earnestness in your heart you know revealed not by your intentions but by your actions if you're really trying to follow the lord that i we got to know this that even though we we fall down, man, we don't stay down. Even though we mess up, God will lift us up. And in this grace land, in this kingdom of of God's forgiveness, He's a God of the second chance. He's a God that can take these things and our mistakes and our blunders and all these crazy things, and He can take it, and He can twist it, and He can tweak it, and He can turn it into something great and something glorious. Because here we see the Gibeonites and this whole thing. You know, they ended up what? They ended up being mighty men of valor in the kingdom of God. And even later, when Saul tried to wipe them out, God dealt with them. It's an amazing thing when you look at it. Man, I want you guys to know that there really is hope for you. Maybe you're here tonight and you've messed up. You need a healthy dose of the love of God. Here in Joshua chapter 9, we learn, man, for those of us who have fallen short, we haven't always, you know, made the best decisions in life. For those of us who have, you know, lapsed at times and, you know, maybe stumbled and we've severed God's guidance, you know, here and there, we need to know that we do have hope in the sovereign grace, in the saving grace, in the amazing grace of God. All I know is this, man. Don't look back. Don't look back to see how many hurdles you've cleared, or maybe even how many cur- hurdles you've knocked down. You look forward. Right now, we look forward to what God you guide us. Because a lot of times when we mess up, the enemy comes in and he tries to take away hope. He said, "You're not going. You have no hope. You already messed up." And that's not of the Lord, you know. He says, "Nope, no hope." Doesn't want you to cope, right? But man, we have the hope, the Bible says, as an anchor to my soul. Man, I don't know what's going to happen to me. I don't know, man. I know I've messed up. But Lord, I'm telling you what, I'm going to fall in love with you, man. And I'm going to go forward in my life as a Christian. And so I pray as we study tonight, God, guide us. Help us to follow you. God, grace us. Wash us of our sins. Help us to be led by you, believing in your guidance, and help us to be fed by you, receiving your grace. We need to be strong in the grace of God, not wrong in the grace of God, but strong in the grace of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so in Christ, I thank you, Lord, for the place of grace. Lead our lives God, give us a heart to follow You. And even if we fall short of following You, please, Lord, I implore You, restore us tonight. God, work everything out for good in every single heart here. You are an awesome God, and we, we want to love You. Your word says, Psalm 18.1, I will love You, O Lord, my God, my strength. I don't know if I can say it yet, Lord. I sometimes I feel like Peter; he, he he couldn't say it, Lord. I know I fall so short, Lord, but I want to love you. I want to be right on, and so I pray, Lord. You work in every life here, Father, and you do a great work. Help us to follow you, Lord, all the days of our life, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.